You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. I just had a wonderful evening, and we are on 15 days in a row of shows, and loving this, and I thought I was going to bank some episodes, you know, stack up a bunch and shoot them all like five or six in a row, and what I have found myself doing instead is just doing them each day and whatever comes to me talking about that. So this is what happened today. So we moved into our new home at the beginning of summer, and Moved all the way across town, gorgeous little cul-de-sac, lots of families with kids. We don't have kids, but we figured we'd move into a neighborhood with a lot of kids because it tends to be more of a vibrant neighborhood. People are out of their houses more often because kids are out in the yard playing. Like There's actually kids who play outside here, which is not something I was familiar with living in Los Angeles where it seemed like they did not do that. <laughs> so I'm not going to blame screens, whatever. It, here, kids are outside playing. And so in an effort to get to know our neighbors more, we chat people up, but we thought, what would be a good idea if we got everybody together at our house? And there's only like eight houses in the call site, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, nine. And of those houses that we invited, six out of the nine showed up. And after watching the girlfriend plan this whole spread. It was absolutely freaking phenomenal. And if I posted things on social media, I would totally do post these pictures of this spread. And maybe it'll be something I'll post at some point in 2024. I am going to be more active on social media. Not the point of this podcast episode. What is the point of this podcast episode is that I am not familiar with hosting parties that aren't like the ones I hosted in my 20s and 30s, where it's like, hey, everybody, bring over your drug of choice and your booze of choice. Uh, I'll have a keg and a bunch of ice in the bathtub. And um, yeah, let's just get stupid. You know, when I got sober, I didn't really throw a lot of parties. Um, in fact, I threw no parties. And then when I moved in with girlfriend, um, they were, it was still really her place. It wasn't our place. It was just me moving into her apartment. So she'd throw parties, but I just, you know, sort of mingle along with most of it just being her friends. And so this is the first time I really felt like I was co-hosting a party and I didn't do any of the prepping for the food because she is like Martha Stewart's long lost sister. So she doesn't really need my help. And in fact, I think I slightly get in the way when it comes to that stuff anyway. So um, I help clean and I help, you know, walk around and invite people over with her, you know, the, the dude stuff. But as far as like, you know, building a charcuterie board, that's definitely something that she wanted to do and marvelous. And my point that I'm getting to here is that there's got to be something in your sobriety and recovery that you can experience as one of those treat yourself moments. And I was laughing with one of the neighbors and I was talking about, it's like, you know, we don't celebrate, we don't throw confetti in our own lives. When it's, when it comes to a child, we'll celebrate little victories for them. But when it comes to our own lives, what are we celebrating? How are we going to make these moments that we have been seeking impactful and then also realize that the moments that we are achieving in our sobriety and recovery are 
potentially going to look very different than the same kind of party we would have thrown 15, 20 years ago. I mean, most of these people are in their 30s or older, and so they've got kids or they don't have kids or they're like us and they're sort of in the middle. And so of you know, the people who were over, only two of them were drinking alcohol and they were just sipping and enjoying it. It wasn't like a you know, chug fest. And it was just really interesting for me to mingle about and talk about things. And yeah, some of the conversations are, you know, oh, how's your new job going? Or what are your kids up to? Or, you know, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't always the most entertaining conversations to be had, but it was cool conversations to get to know people that lived around us. And I want to just emphasize that you are going to end up doing some things in your sobriety and recovery that are going to look a lot different. And I actually had to actively choose to see this through the perspective of this is what, you know, like adult parties are going to be like. I mean, be it I've been to some where there's a little bit more drinking going on, but it's really just people talking about their lives and, and mingling and sharing stories and getting to know one another so that when we see each other on the street or in the cul-de-sac that we actually wave or we stop or we chit-chat each other up for a few minutes. Those are the kind of connections I'm seeking. And the ones I was getting back in my drinking and drugging days, while they were fun in the moment, I don't really remember, you know, how impactful the conversations were, you know, as far as creating friends in this state of mind versus one where you're consistently blacked out. And then that got my mind to thinking, it's like, I had to commit to this lifestyle. I had to openly choose to battle through the suffering, battle through the trauma, battle through the pain, break the old pattern loops, create new habits. And in doing so, I've been able to create a pretty great life. Are there things I would like? Yes, there are things I would still like. I would like to have more money. I think anybody in this country, 90% of us could say that we need a little bit better finances going into 2024. Obviously, I'd like to keep working on my physical fitness and my health. That's always going to be a priority. You know, and look at my my car needs a new, uh, what do they call those? Catalytic converters. Um, You know, there's things that I need in my life that can just even me out. And it's the commitments that I make to myself to continue to work on myself that allow me to begin to achieve these things. And I get new catalytic converter doesn't like sound like a big thing, but those things are like $1,500. And I do not have $1,500 laying around to spend on a catalytic converter any more than I can just snap my fingers and have the body that I would like to have at 50. Or I can snap my fingers and double my revenue and be able to write my next book and be able to focus on my schoolwork without having concerns about that. Like we're always going to have concerns. We're always, our lives are going to happen. We're going to get sucker punched by life. And it's not sobriety's fault. It's just life that can do that to us once in a while. And when we make a commitment to sobriety and recovery, we you're really going to want to get in lockstep with the notion that life can just punch us once in a while. And when it punches us, we want to be able to lock in to why we are pushing ourselves in the manner that we are in order to achieve the goals that we've set for ourselves. Why do we commit to the things that we do? Why do things matter that we have chosen to have them matter? Because there's going to be those days we wake up and we don't want to be out of bed. That we'd rather just pull the curtains down, pull the covers up, and call it a freaking day. And it's only 8 a.m. So what I'm going to run you through right now is four keys to successfully 
committing to something. It's not necessarily the accomplishment of something. It's the act of committing to something in a way that will have a more advantageous opportunity for accomplishment. Because there's ways that we can set commitments towards ourselves where we're already setting ourselves up for a slight bit of failure, for more of a feedback opportunity than a success opportunity. So let's get into this because we've only got about 12 minutes and I'm not dicking around anymore. I did want to just state that the party was a blast. It was very enjoyable. I mean, you could barely tell anybody was even in our house. That's how quickly we were able to clean up afterwards. It's just very interesting to me that even after at 47, even after seven years of sobriety, you know, I know not every party I throw, I'm going to throw a Super Bowl party. I promise you there'll be more drinking at that. But for us to have thrown our first party, it went off without a hitch. You know, I think at one point we had like 20 people in the house. It was a super exciting thing. I just remember looking around and being like, wow, it's like, this is adulting. This is just having a normal gathering of people over where the center isn't alcohol. It's not partying. There's not somebody, you know, making a fool of themselves in the backyard or vomiting in the toilet. It's just a bunch of people hanging out, getting to know each other. And it's super cool. And while the conversations weren't always about things I wanted to talk about, it was cool just being in the moment and enjoying what people were sharing. And whenever I then turn this back over to what me and the neighbor were talking about, about treating yourself, when you make commitments, you have opportunities to treat yourself because you seek accomplishments in your commitments. So what I'm going to run you through is four different keys to successful commitments. Um, I gathered these from the 12-week year, so I'm going to run them to you and see what I can make up as I go along and just off the top of my head. Because I've been reading over this list for the last few days, and I know I've got some stuff to say about it. First one, burning desire. There is not a person in the tribe who does not have a burning desire to maintain, achieve, commit to some massive change in their life. Now, is it going to be easy? Well, no. One, I mean, whoever said anything's easy, that's subjective to perspective. But kicking a habit like alcohol or drugs or a process addiction, of course there's going to be difficulty in that. Because you've created so many different habits around maintaining your addiction. And now all of a sudden you've got to trash all those and build habits up around maintaining your sobriety. The burning desire is huge. I've been talking to a lot of people over the last few weeks about when they make massive changes. And some of them don't even know when it clicked. But damn near each and every person has said something to the effect of, Something just finally clicked. I don't know when it happened, but it finally clicked. I definitely know when it happened, and this is when it clicked. It's like that's the terminology that I'm hearing consistently, that it clicked, that something just popped, and they was like, I, it was just there. It was like I'm, I was blind, and now I can see. That's the burning desire. We have this burning desire. And it finally just clicks and it becomes the end-all be-all. And when you can harness that burning desire, when, and I've said this before, when the pain of continuing is greater than the pain of quitting, that's when it clicks. That's when the burning desire to achieve a different life becomes just a fire-breathing dragon chasing you. It's like there's no way you're going to stop. 
It's that burning desire. Now, you might lapse 50 times, but the burning desire to be so sober and to continue trying, that's going to stick with you. Even if you full-on relapse, that burning desire to be sober, it's, it's the flame inside. It cannot be extinguished. Once you've gone from pre-contemplation to contemplation to planning, and you've made it from completely oblivious that there's an issue to maybe there's an issue to, holy shit, I need to start making plans out of this issue. Once that happens, the burning desire's there. It might be a roaring inferno, or it might just be a, a whisper of, of a spark, but it's there. And it will continue to burn inside of you until you really start putting some action toward it. That's number two, clear actions. This is where I talk about specificity. You can't just say, well, I want to stop drinking. Well, how are you going to do that? Uh, you know, I'll go to some meetings. I just won't keep booze in the house. I'll stop hanging out with the friends who want to do it. That's a lot of vagueness there. I want to hear things like, well, I used to go to a happy hour on Tuesday nights, but now instead I'm going to go to a meeting down at the church on 5th and Maple. Right, I want to hear clear actions. You know, I'd love to hang out with those people, but they like to drink on that certain night. So now I'll just try to find something on you know on Tuesday where they don't want to go drinking. Or hey, how about some friends from my church or from work or from the grocery store? I don't fucking care where you find them, but find different people and have a specific date, have a specific time, and have a specific activity you're gonna do on a night you used to go drinking a lot. It's in the specificity that the clear actions are created. Vagueness or random spontaneity in these regards is not going to fuel you toward accomplishment. Well, when I'm not in a good mood, I'll just figure out a way to get into a better mood. No, no, you won't. Because once the bad mood clicks in, it starts up a pattern loop. Clear actions. They are fueled by the burning desire. And then number three, you've got to count the cost. Now, like I just talked about the friends or the coworkers or the happy hour you used to always go to, you have to count the cost of what this change is going to cost you in your life because it could potentially cost you friends. It could potentially cost you employment. It could potentially cost you a lot of things. I don't know what those things are, but let me be clear. When I say that count the cost, it's not what's the cost if I keep drinking, because that will definitely at some point count you, cost you friends and family and money and potentially your job. Yeah, I'm talking about counting the cost for quitting, because you're going to lose something. You, it might just be that your your best friend drug a choice, your best best friend booze a choice, your best muting mechanism. You're going to definitely lose that. So put that down as the first cost. But potentially losing friends because they like to blow lines in the middle of the day while we're out, you know, on the back nine could potentially lose them. Could potentially lose a business partner because they like to throw it down, you know, on the weekends, and you don't want to do that anymore. You could lose the friends. You could lose a lot of different things. And I could come up with a lot of hypotheticals, but you have to count the cost of what you're going to lose when you quit. Because by doing so, you can prepare yourself for the friends or the family members who decide to turn their back on you. Maybe it costs you being able to go out to the club on Friday nights. Yeah, it was your way of going out and you know cutting loose and being, feeling fancy free, getting rid of some of that stress and anxiety from the work week it's going to cost you that opportunity if you can't go into those situations without drinking or doing drugs. 
It's going to cost you social engagements. It's going to cost you activities. It's going to cost you experiences. The beautiful thing of it is, is that the longer you are in sobriety and recovery, the more you begin to figure out different ways to enjoy yourself or how to introduce those things back into your life and still not feel the temptation of using. Doesn't matter how many clubs I go to, doesn't matter how many concerts I go to, I'm not going to drink when I go to those. I, I always think about um, Arya's um, dance instructor in Game of Thrones, who's really the guy teaching her how to use a sword. And he says to her, Not today, death, not today. When I go to these things where the addiction monster is hanging out, where everybody's wearing their addiction monster on their sleeve at a live event, at a club, at a picnic in the park, wherever it might be where people are drinking copious amounts of alcohol, I just look around and I'm like, not today. Not today, addiction. Not today. Today is not the day I go back to day one. Today is not the day. Some other day might be the day, but today is not that day. Count the cost because there's going to be costs of quitting. And I want you to aware of those because you start making these clear actions, costs are going to come in. And number four, act on your commitments, not your feelings. Now, the entire thing that I listened to, because I listened to this 12-week year on Audible, and I've been bringing it up a lot because he brings up some really great points that are things I've talked about. And I talk about acting on commitments, not feelings. When I first got sober and I started going to the gym regularly, I remember not sleeping very well those first few months. Um, One of the things that I remember noticing about myself is that when I would wake up in the morning, I would feel really bad because it wasn't a very good night's sleep, hot, cold sweats, you know, shivers, the whole thing, dry heaves. It was just a son of a bitch. And if you'd asked me at 5.30 in the morning when that alarm went off, hey, you want to go to the gym at 12.30 p.m., I'd have been like, fuck. No, zero percent. I want to do that because in the moment, my feeling was tired or angry or sad or just pain. Consistently, by the time I was getting out of work right around 1130, 1145, I would be jazzed and ready to go to the gym. My feelings at 530 in the a.m. were not the same feelings that I had at 1145 a.m., completely different feelings. And I act on my commitments. If I commit to doing the working out, then regardless if I'm in the mood to do it or not, I do it. Because feelings are fleeting, but commitments, they have longevity. An accomplishment is forever. And so today, I've got a very painful shoulder. I have no idea what I did to it. You can hear my voice is a little bit raspy. Lots of, you know, talking over the last few days. All my clients were on Thursdays and Fridays. I also had to teach a three-hour class. I had to prepare for a nine-hour class on Saturday or a seven-hour class. Then another six hours on Sunday. Like, I'm feeling a little fatigued. I've been burning it on all the ends. You know, putting all that work on that one essay I just told you I did. Was it 25 hours or whatever? 130 out of 130. Straight crush that essay. And I'm feeling pretty spent. So today, when it came time to do the workout, I was not in the mood to do the workout. Yes, the shoulder is killing me. I've been doing my best to massage it out. Yes, my legs are killing me. I've been walking 10,000 steps a day for like 70 fucking days in a row. A little, little burnout. out. But I committed to the workout. Today was the day for the workout. And I wasn't going to let my feelings of being tired or grumpy or a little run down dictate that the the workout did not happen. I committed 
Therefore, I follow through. Some of these podcasts I've shot, I've not necessarily been in the mood to flip on the microphone. Right now, I did not feel like I was in the mood to flip on the microphone. That might have been why I rambled about the party for the first seven minutes. But I made a commitment, and by the end of it, I feel like I've brought value to you. For these 20 or so minutes, you now realize that when you have a burning desire to make a change, that will flame inside of you. Some days it's an inferno, some days it's just a smolder. But either way, it's a burning desire. Lapse 50 times, get up and do it the 51st time. And have clear actions for how you're going to maintain your sobriety. Have clear actions on how you're going to continue your addiction recovery. And for any change you want to make in your life, utilize the burning desire, come up with clear actions, and count the costs. Because when you go to make a change, it's going to cost you something. More than likely, many things. Because you're letting go of one thing in order to bring in this new thing. Every new beginning has an, uh, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. That's a song from like the 90s. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Closing time. One last call. <laughs> you guys remember that shit? I know you do. Right? But you've got to know that it's counting the cost. Something else has to end in, for, in order for something else to begin. And act on commitments, not feelings. Feelings are fleeting. They're, they're, a, they're a stick floating past you in the river. They're the clouds going by you in the sky. It's the sun starting on one side of the sky and being on the other end of the sky at the end of the day. It, it's feelings move. And what you feel right now might not be the wanting to work out or wanting to read the book or wanting to make the tough phone call or wanting to go to the meeting. But that sense of satisfaction that you get from having pushed through that negative emotion in order to get on the other side of fulfilling that compliment, that's the what's that's one of the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, honoring your word, commit, making a commitment and sticking to your word. Your word matters first and foremost to yourself. Utilize the burning desire, come up with clear actions, count the costs of making the change, and then act on the commitments you make to yourself and others, not on the feelings in the moment. Because feelings are fleeting. Accomplishment that's forever. If you want to know more about how to learn neurolinguistic programming from me to become one of my clients, I'm doing a ton of recovery coaching right now, seeing some tremendous success. Honestly, it has a lot less to do with uh, me and so much more to do with how much effort my clients are willing to put in, the people in the tribe just busting their ass. Uh, one of my clients told me to be mindful of negative self-talk today. I'm not saying I'm not doing something. I'm just simply saying I can talk a whole lot, but if y'all don't take action, then <laughs> then it's just words. So if you'd like to become a, one of my clients in the recovery coaching, if you'd like to become a member of the tribe and be able to join a group and actually follow along with this material and talk it out with one another, I've got a lot of opportunity to do that. jessemogul.com slash me. Go in there, fill out one of the forms um, on the coaching side, and I will reach out to you. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. Shout out to Robert. Glow on. See you next time, which is tomorrow. Bye-bye. 